Hey listeners, The Two Cities is on Patreon. You might be wondering, why Patreon? Why now? Well, in March 2020, several members of the Two Cities community, then a blog, decided to launch a podcast. Over the last four years, we've released over 200 episodes and built a good community of hosts and listeners. And in that time, we haven't had any funding or external support. But lately, we've been dreaming about expanding and improving what we're offering. We want this to be sustainable for all of our hosts and a great experience for all of our guests and listeners. So we're launching this Patreon to fund some software and other forms of support. So if you're interested, check us out at patreon.com slash the two cities podcast. And thank you so much for your support along the way. We really appreciate it. Bye. Welcome to the two cities podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 207. In this episode, we're talking about church and gender-related trauma with Amy Bird. Amy Bird is the author of several books, including Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and the Sexual Reformation. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. John Anthony Dunn, Reverend Dr. Christopher Porter, and me, Dr. Madison Pierce. Chris, John, what were some of the things that struck you as we spoke with Amy? In this conversation, Amy is just so open and so raw about her experience uh, and 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 the reflection that she's done in in processing the trauma and engaging with it and it's it's really hard to hear at times but it is really valuable to hear what's going on for uh for Amy and for others as they live through uh, these traumatic experiences and I really appreciate Amy's openness with us uh, and her engagement with um with her healing uh, but also her ongoing engagement with the church uh, she isn't um, disillusioned and leaving uh, things behind, but uh, rather wants to to continue seeking after God and seeking after the good of his church. Well, I always love having Amy on the podcast. I think this is her sixth time joining us. Uh, so she is, she's the reigning champion. Um, and uh, it's just always a, a delight. This happens to be a tough topic, you know, we're in the series on trauma. And so there's, um, there's, there's a lot there that, that she's going to share with us. That's, that's pretty heavy. Um, and, and she has um, spoken with us about some of these things, but this is the, 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 the most that she's kind of laid it out in kind of one fell swoop, uh, kind of what what happened to her, um, the kind of uh, suspicions that came towards her from from uh, pastoral leaders uh, in her denomination, uh, basically, frankly, just because she's a woman uh, you know, trying to be faithful, um, talking about uh, scripture and, and the Bible and, and relationships between men and women uh, in healthy ways and um just really unfortunate, but she's such a strong person and such a um, uh, such a uh, courageous person, uh, you know. And her story is just uh, remarkable and 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 sad. But but ultimately, um, it's one in which you know she's just continuing to be faithful with um, what God has placed in front of her. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think in Amy's story, we hear so much generosity. Um, and that, that's what struck me as well. I mean, I'm so thankful to you, um, for naming that, you know, the stuff that she experienced is because she's a woman. Um, 
you know, I was speaking with someone who is like a, a likewise sort of um, controversial but influential Christian figure today, and they've experienced nothing like what Amy has. And he acknowledges that her gender like really plays plays a role in that. And so, and I'm yeah, I'm grateful to you and Chris for being able to name that too. Um, but even beyond that, like Amy is one of the people who has experienced the stuff, but also done the work. And um, so I'm really thankful to have her in our series of trauma. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Also, if you appreciate what we do here at the Two Cities, please consider joining our Patreon community to support our work and receive bonus content. Look for us on Patreon, follow us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Amy Bird. Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. So we're in the midst of a trauma series, and we are inviting you to come and to share the trauma that you've experienced, particularly on the basis of gender. Um, That's a really wide sort of prompt, but could you tell us what have your experiences been and... Yeah. What can you share with our listeners about gender-based trauma? Mm. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a home that was, there was nothing like that. You know, um, my dad taught like mixed martial arts outside of our, or inside of our house, I should say. And so I never felt this like difference that I'm a woman and, and have to do something different. Um, but I felt good about being a woman. You know, there was a distinctiveness there, but nothing that was limiting me. And so as an adult in a church, a very young adult, I got married at like 21 years old, right out of college. And my parents were divorced by then. My husband's parents were divorced. Statistics weren't very good for us as a married couple. So I, you know, I wanted to do this Christian thing right. I wanted to do the married life well. And, um, you know, this is the time when all the biblical manhood and womanhood resources were just thriving and flourishing and and I thought, well, that's what I want to be, right? I want to be a biblical woman. So I'm reading the stuff. I'm um, finding it very hard to connect in the church, though, as like a disciple. <laughs> I wanted to learn more about God badly. And I think I was, I had a very a, a vigor for theology. And I thought like church was where you learn that stuff. Like church is where you learn about God. Church is where you serve God. Um and I, I, di- I wasn't quite understanding why as a woman, and I didn't even you know, know that it, is it because I'm a woman, why I'm having trouble getting into these conversations, into this learning, into the, like maybe the theological heart of, of discussion about who God is and learning about who God is. Um, so there was the woman's ministry arm to where I could go. And immediately I'm asked to teach when I felt like I had a lot to learn still. And so I found, you know, to make a very long story short, each time I would try to learn more or try to contribute more, um, there was some disillusionment that I stumbled upon along the way. And that really is what led me to become an author is because I thought, 
you know, it was just, it was out of a loneliness of a thinking woman in the church. And so I thought, well, maybe if there is a tool for women to see that, hey, theology is important for us too. You know, what we believe to be true about God affects our, our daily living. And, and we can actually go to church to learn about God. Like you don't have to go to seminary just to learn about God. Like the church is supposed to be there for us in that way. Um, and you know what? The book was written for women. So I was like accepted into all the circles that I was in at the time. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, this is wonderful. And so I was put on my little path as a writer and a speaker with all these opportunities for women's ministry. Um, and then, but as I started getting invited into some mixed spaces, um, as more men were reading my writing, um, as I began writing more about, okay, there's just more to this. I'm learning as I'm going, speaking that I'm being treated differently still. Um, you know, I wrote a book about friendship between the sexes because I found myself walking alone in an alley at night in the city in the, in the rain um, in a dangerous place for two blocks because the men wouldn't give me a ride, you know, because I'm, I'm a woman. It's so strange. Um, weird things like that. Um, then I wrote a book about a, a stronger book about like the male and female voice in scripture. You know, how do we see them interacting? What does it reveal? Where does discipleship happen? What is the great privilege and honor of being brothers and sisters in the church? Still, I'm focusing on like discipleship and not leadership. I'm still wanting to know as a disciple, non-academic, um, not ordained, where we get to contribute, where we get to learn, you know, where is this life of reciprocity happening in the church? And that's when I just experienced a whole lot of harassment. I found out that leaders in my denomination and other denominations had organized a group online to coordinate, uh, to call ahead of my speaking engagements, uh, to warn, you know, danger, like guard your families, your churches from this woman, this Jezebel. You know, if her husband really loved her, he'd tell her to shut up kind of stuff. It was just jaw dropping. Um, but even worse than that, and this and this group was like, there were like 1,100 people in it. So it was pretty significant. It was made up of a lot of leaders. I expect jerks on the internet. I expected there to be critique of my writing. I didn't expect everyone to agree with it. Um, I hoped that it could be sharpening maybe. But this was harassment by leaders um, in multiple denominations, but particularly my own that I was in. Um, sadly, and, and I think the worst part of it was one of my elders was in that group. Um, you know, somebody who I thought was a, a friend of our family. Uh, you know, we went to their homes for small group. We've been to each other's homes for dinner. Uh, our children were friends, you know, my church was only like 175 people, was, you know, we were close, I thought. So that was just gut-wrenching to me. Uh, he was kind of like a silent lurker in there. Um, felt betrayed, not protected. Um, all of a sudden, some things were connecting that were happening in the dynamics of the church. So um, in trying to address that, to me, to my husband, <laughs> common sense tells us that this is just horrible behavior. Um, this is unbecoming of an unbeliever, you know, um, much less an elder of a church. 
So we thought that as painful as it was, and, and we were hoping for reconciliation even, but we thought it was pretty obvious, pretty cut and dry that this just isn't the way that you behave. You know, this isn't the way that you treat people. This isn't love, loving. Um, give a critique of the work. Go ahead, do that, you know. Um, but the name calling, the it was just such misogyny and racism on that website. It wasn't just against me, but um, I was talked about what I found out from somebody in the group, like all day long in threads that were just like hundreds of comments, you know, from morning to night, ongoing, on and on and on. Um, and so it also affected my vocation, you know, my speaking engagements, they were planning to sabotage my Amazon page as my book was coming out. Um, and, and my personal life, my church life, it was just a lot of different things, my reputation, you know, something that you care about, things that I had to really think about. Um, wow, uh, you want to have a good name, you want to have a good reputation. And yet, these are things you also have to kind of lay down. And um, so I tried to go through the process of addressing this in the like the proper church channels of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that I was in, very conservative denomination. I even said, you know, if there's something I wrote in my writing that's outside of the bounds of our confessions of the faith, let me know, you know, um, that wasn't pointed out. Never were charges brought against me in the church, but um, against my elders, against, it was just this, the craziest part as a woman specifically that took a while to even realize how this was happening because you just don't expect it is that I had no voice in the whole process. So like, as we're talking about trauma, um, you seeing it, you do feel unsafe, you know, and, and right away there might be some trauma because trauma is when you, it's not just what's happening to you. It's the failure of those who can do something about it to act. You know, it's, it's when you know that oh, I'm not safe, like the very people, it's complete disillusionment. Like the very people that I thought I could go to that would be there for me. Um, and, and, and when it comes to spiritual abuse, it's like the people who are charged by God to care for your soul, um, are the ones harming you or enabling the harm, um, that's trauma. And, and so going through the process, um, the proper church order, um, I didn't have a voice. Um, and interestingly, you know, some men stepped forward who were older, you know, close to retirement age in the denomination, you know, had influence. Um, saw how bad this was and wanted to do something about it. And, and even friends, you know, in, in the denomination in the church, it's like these people are stepping in to help you, but they're also taking the pen of your story. They're the ones writing the complaints. They're the ones with a voice in the, the room, you know, behind closed doors. All these men are talking about you and you don't have a voice. I remember asking my elders, well, first of all, it took my pastor and the one elder, I think two months before they told the other elders, because they were really trying to work with this guy. Um, two months where we were, my husband and I were silent, you know, about our pain to the rest of the church where my own family worshiped. Um, I kept it from them because I didn't want to color their view of the church. Um, I, 
didn't tell my closest friends because I didn't want to color their view of this elder because I wanted reconciliation. So for two months, you know, not, not only, during that time, I had to Matthew 18 <laughs> and face my abuser um, where I was completely gaslit, where everything was changed and turned inside out and upside down. And it was extremely emotional um, twice before the rest of the elders could find out. Um, and they were so in the dark, they had to start from the beginning, you know, and be like, what's going on here? Only to find out um, there's dysfunction in the whole session, which the session is the governing body of the, the Presbyterian church. So it's like, um, they, this problem is presented and they're not at a place where they can properly handle it themselves. So it goes to Presbytery. It, it went all the way to the General Assembly, which takes two years. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, I'm talked about in about four different Presbyteries of people wanting to do something about me. I don't, I don't even know why, guys. Hmm. I don't know what I wrote or said that was so horrible to where on a presbytery floor, which is like this regional meeting, right, of, of leaders in, in, uh, in my denomination, that something needs to be done about me, that I am a raging wolf, <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, the great harlot of Babylon, uh, the, the general of the feminist army, there was a sermon preached about the perfect hatred of God against feminism to a congregation by a pastor who wrote a five-part series of how I'm the general of the feminist army. Uh, this is on Psalm 139. <laughs> I, how you put this together, I don't know. But um, so it's just like every day. They're, they're, they went on Facebook asking for help to press charges against me. For, and they listed these crazy erroneous charges of things that I hadn't done. Um, you know, I, my daughter is a hairstylist. And when she was first starting her career, my middle daughter, after church, I took her out to lunch and then she took me to her salon and did her hair. And I posted it on Facebook, um, you know, promoting her. And that was taken off my Facebook page and where they wanted to charge me for breaking the Sabbath. Whoa. Cause it happened on a Sunday. Um, you know, just so they're stalking my pages, um, tr taking pictures, wanting to, they had a picture of my pastor and his, the number of our church, we call this man and complain, you know, about Amy Bird. Um, so everywhere I would go speak, then they would cause trouble for that whole church, that whole leadership. Um, they would be punished for inviting me. And, and so that is like, they are kind of disrupting your inner world, your outer world. Um, meanwhile, I'm just trying to record what's happening in these trials and in my own presbytery, in my region where my church is. Uh, so the elder had filed charges who was in this group against my elders for charging him. So my husband and I show up to this meeting. It's during COVID, like where it's still kind of, really sketchy at that time. We weren't prepared to know that this church is in a trailer. <laughs> no one's wearing masks, you know? And so we're in there 
Um, and the man in charge of the committee giving the committee report where he recommends what to do about all this, you know, and he's well known. Um, you know, the first thing he does is make fun of the title of my book, recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood. And he says, you know, who wants to recover from the Bible? <laughs> he gets laughter. Um, later on, he makes a joke about the kind of sin levels, uh, these people who are saying all this horrible stuff about me and me, the troublemaker. And so he said, I have advice for both parties. Just get off the internet and go for a walk. Like I have the privilege to do that, you know, like, Oh, while all these people are doing this, let me just go for a walk. Um, he referred to me as that lady, you know, never said my name. I'm sitting right there. Um, we're not allowed to speak. Now my husband and I totally regret not standing up and saying, you're completely out of order right now. Um, but we were afraid it was going to, our pastor had charges filed against him at, at that, you know, it was like a trial almost. So we thought it would reflect badly on him, but we leave him. None of our elders stood up and said anything for us. So we were just like, what were they going to do? Send us to OPC jail? <laughs> something? I mean, it's just so silly when you think about it, but um yeah, that whole time as a woman, you know, you're in this room with all these men parsing the book of church order, you know, and, and there's just no Christ. I'm, I'm the whole time. I'm like, I'm like, where is Christ in this? It was pastors and elders behaving as very bad lawyers, hmm. you know? And so it all seemed like this charade. Um, but the disillusionment from it is very traumatizing. Um, and, and being a woman, I think, you know, to your question, Madison, I know I took a long time to explain all that, but two things are, you know, one is just you're immediately a threat. Because I don't know if a man would have written any of those things, if anybody would have thought anything about it, you know? Um, I heard from one Presbytery meeting that, uh, one man had said after a ruling, you do know Amy Bird is the most powerful person in the OPC right now. <laughs> I thought, are we Presbyterians? Like, that's not even a thing. Like, I don't, it was the most silly, but that's what, it's a power thing for some reason. And that's not, I was just trying to talk about God mm. and learn about God and, and help other women who also want to. And I think it enriches the whole church. Um, but then also you don't have a voice when something happens to you. And I also noticed not only do you not have a voice, but there's no, there's not in, in that system, there was no way to care for those being harmed. There was no care given. Um, and there was really no way to define abuse. It, so at the end of that two years, one pastor out of all of them got an admonition, you know, which is the, the least you can get, um, for one thing that he said at the presbytery, which was calling me a raging wolf and, and two other women. So it, it, that all of it got boiled down to those two words, which just reduced us, you know, and, and we were supposed to be happy 
about justice being at the end of that and thankful for all the hard work everybody did. Mm. Amy, that's horrific. And I just want to name that you took every or you made every effort to be careful. You were, I mean, even in the way you've articulated this, that rather than making moves about leadership, it was discipleship. And even in the most conservative places, that Mm -hmm. should be okay. That you are trying to offer care to uh, women and men within the congregations that you're serving. And so um, what it sounds like to me is that you worked really hard to fit within the spheres that you were in. And still that somehow was just irreconcilably offensive. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's like there were invisible fences. And so I had Mm. to learn the invisible fences along the way. Yeah. That is absolutely horrifying, Amy. Um, And I think just in brief reflection, one of the things that stands out there is that uh, you'd been invited to speak with women. You'd been given a space to be able to speak. Mm -hmm. And then even that space they decided was too much. there's, There's that very, it's, like it yeah i'm i'm lost for words <laughs> in 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 your reflection on on just how that works in terms of um something which even is defined and something that that many people uh, and i remember um when you were um going through this many people were saying that you know what you're doing is just fine um you know you you're offering discipleship to women um and 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 yet that became too much um interest in your reflection on, on that shift in the dynamic there and what what ha- happened there and and also you know how how did that make you um feel and and engage yeah i mean i think uh part of it you know there's different layers to it um, I think part of it too was at the time I was a co-host in a podcast with an academic and a pastor in the PCA and, and OPC. And um, I think the podcast was doing pretty well, you know, it was pretty popular. Um, and, you know, I was a woman's voice and I, but I was also like the layperson's voice in an informed reader and somebody who had a lot of opportunities. I felt like the opportunities that I was given for my writing, I was kind of able to go upstairs and have a conversation, but also go downstairs and have a conversation. And that's, that's where I wanted to serve, you know, because I love academics. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not one, but I love gleaning, you know, from academic work. And I wanted the um, church to be able to glean from that too. And I, you know, particularly women and say like, look, like we have all these resources. Um, you don't have to go to seminary to, to have all these resources. Um, so I think at first that was welcomed, but then as the podcast grew in popularity, um, for some reason, I don't know. I really can't understand why it was threatening. You know, I, I've had some, you know, things explained, <laughs> mansplained to me in that way, but, um, 
I mean, and so many people have said to me, like, I don't understand what it is that you're saying that is so threatening, you know? Um, and so I didn't want to believe that it was just about something as simple as power. Um, but I think that's where it is. You know, I think that uh, there's a lot of theology being taught in the seminary, you know, that is very Aristotelian, like the anthropology about um, the ontology of man and woman. And that, you know, they'll use a word like role, which you wouldn't think is connected to being, but they use it in a way that is like connected to being. And so that women in her role is to um, support male leadership. And, mm. and it's so vague the way it's said that, you know, all of a sudden you find out that you're like stepping around this all the time. And so I'm finding, I was finding that in, in all the circles that I was, I was in and um, you know, how it made me feel. I kept thinking, it made me feel like I'm too much, you know, like um, I've gone too far in my thinking. I've gone too far in my speaking, my writing. Um, and that just me, myself, I'm too much. And that's a horrible feeling really. Um, and I think that affected me as I was trying to address it. I wanted so badly to address it in a mature way in a godly way in the proper way. Um, and yet the whole time I wasn't being met with that. And, you know, even with people that I think wanted to help me, and I think this is probably the hardest part to deal with where I've really had to process it more after stepping out is, is the people who wanted to help me because I find that these men had good intentions, um, but they're in that system, right? They're in that system of thinking and they want to pull me into that system of thinking the whole time and come to find out like, look, all of us have suffering that, you know, we have to deal with in our life. Right. And, and traumas in our life. And if you haven't dealt with that and then you go to help somebody else, um, I find that they wanted to be the heroes of the story, you know? And so if I were to say, actually, you hurt me when you did this, they couldn't handle that. You know, there are parts of me, there was a certain version of me they wanted, the one that was thankful for their help. But the version of me that, you know, might've been hurt in that process, I still couldn't confront those things, even with the people that were helping me. So, you know, that that's a lot to unpack and think and try to figure out afterwards. I don't know how much sense that makes because I don't know how much sense it would make to me unless I've gone through it. Uh, no, I think that that's, there's that strange space which we often end up in in the church of permission giving and then permission taking. Yes. And then, but so often I think uh, when, uh, yeah, so often when things go awry, there's never anything spoken about the shift in, in and changes. Mm -hmm. uh, just happens as we've seen with your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you see that the whole system is messed up, you know, first I'm thinking it's just these fringe people. Then I'm thinking, how are they enabled to do that? Then I see that they're being pumped out of seminaries that way. Then I see that the system itself is complicit in, in this behavior and the system itself actually harms me. Um, so then anybody in that system who's trying to help you, 
is going to inevitably still harm you. Yeah. If they're pulling you in that system. So a lot of what sort of, um, you know, put this target on you was your writing. And since then you've, you've been writing and you, 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 you're still writing. Uh, I'm curious, did you find it difficult to get back to writing and producing? Did you find that your experience stifled you at all? Or did you, you know, what was that experience like of just trying to get back on the saddle, so to speak, given that what you were, you know, sitting down to do was something that, you know, you had such traumatic experiences about? Yeah, thanks for that question. Because like I said, I I didn't start writing with this ambition that, oh, I want to be an author. Um, It was out of the loneliness, I said, as a thinking woman, and each book kind of was the next level of questions that I was asking. And um, so when this happened, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I thought I had thick skin, but who wants to go through all this? You know, it was awful. And do I even want to continue with this? And never mind, do I want to continue with this? I was blacklisted from all my spaces, too. And so I kind of had to really evaluate, like, whether I want to continue to write. Um, And, you know, there was a huge part of me that was like, let's open a speakeasy, Amy. (laughs) 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 Let's do something simpler in life. (laughs) You you can still do that. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, this is like, I'm I'm dreaming about that. Um, But I will say, like, um, you know, some friends that I have in, in, like, and Zondervan even were really encouraging to me at the time. And I did have, you know, the song of songs just ministered to me deeply in my pain. Um, and I just really found Christ present with me in that book. And so that's really what sprang out of my next book. And it was a deep desire to show something meaningful in our sexuality besides all these gender wars and culture wars and um, whether you're a complementarian or an egalitarian, let's be challenged by this like meaningfulness. Um, and so I had a book in me, you know, coming out. And so I just went for it. But in the writing, there was a struggle of hearing these voices, the voices of my mm-hmm. critics, you know, and that has is something I've had to battle through because, you know, you want to not, I don't know. There's like, in some way you want to like make it so that they can't say this or they can't say that. And, and I want to be this theologically astute. And I think I'm, I think I'm getting to a place now where I'm really embracing more of the roots that got me into this. You know, I, I love the theological clarity and I love talking about those things, but I think that I got so caught up in that, um, that it be, it became more about these presuppositional statements, you know, and doctrine, doctrinal clarity, instead of like the mystery and wonder and imagination and and the things that really got me excited in the first place. So I'm, I'm trying to really tap into that part more now, which has got me a lot more excited about writing. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that that's the case, Amy, because I think that at least in terms of how I've received the way that you've perceived the, or um, portrayed this, it seems like you could write anything. And in your denomination as a woman, 
that mm-hmm. you're going to get heat. Yeah, and it doesn't so matter, right? I'm so thankful that you have been faithful to continue to follow God's leading in this. Um, Thank you. And I'm so sorry. It's really horrendous yeah. because, it, I mean, you are acting in faithfulness and yet are being portrayed as someone who is trying to harm the church. And so, yeah. again, I'm so sorry. It's so inside out. But it really, I had to do a lot of work, you know, it, it really made me realize the work that I have to do. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm not thankful for what happened to me. It's awful. It's terrible. But um, I found an, a community, you know, of a yeah. big community of people hurt in the church. And, um, and, you know, that's who I feel like I write for a lot now. Like my, mm. my next book coming out is just about rising from disillusionment in the church. And what does hope look like? Um, and oh, these scars that we have, I think, bear testimony and that we shouldn't cover them up, you know? Um, so that's, you know, I, I think it has helped me in my healing see so many other people, so many other hurting people, and so many people who are just disillusioned with the church, even if they haven't been mm-hmm. through abuse. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I mean, um, want to give you space to reflect on this as you feel open to. Um, but I would love to hear what it's looked like for you to do that work and to process mm-hmm. what you've experienced and to kind of move through this trauma. So again, yeah. whatever you feel safe to to share with us. Uh, yeah. Um, for me, I got to tell you, just like searching for beauty <laughs> has been the most healing thing, you know, with people I love. I hike at least once a week with friends. Um, I have different ones. Um, and you know, we just are in the raw (laughs) in the woods, um, you know, telling our stories and the mountains hold it all or floating on the river. Um, there's just so many beauties to behold around us. And I think that, you know, we've created a space where we are mature enough now to, to be able to dig in and, you know, We've all got secrets, right? We don't know what they are, like family trauma and different things like that. Like, I think that um, all that comes out when you go through a huge disruption. And it's been a a blessing in some ways to be able to um, think about that and to work through that Um, therapy. I love I've been doing deep dives into interpersonal neurobiology. I find that extremely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I love to learn. So like learning helps me heal as well, but really having, you know, I, I do have great friends, a great husband and family um, to where I can just talk about these things and work through them, process them. Uh, I do personal work of journaling and storied memory and, and things like that. Um, uh, so yeah, I think those are the main things. And, And like I said, the Song of Songs has just been so healing for me. You know, Mm. I think that tells the whole story of scripture and and that that little espresso Mm. shot of scripture. And the whole story's there. Um, There's so many echoes and illusions um, tying it all together, but in the most beautiful, imaginative, um, even erotic way. So um, I think that that's really helped me because you know, along with the searching for beauty, um, I think all of our senses need to be involved in, in this, 
we're such a cerebral church mm-hmm. right now, you know, and everything is the doctrine and propositional statements. And, um, you know, those are all fine and good and important and necessary. And I value the creed, you know, ancient creeds and things, but, um, the liturgy of worship totally beckons all of our senses, you know, and there's so much allegory in liturgy, you know, in baptism, in the Eucharist, even in the preached word, um, in the singing. So all of it, um, to get that big picture of what's really happening and holding on to what matters, you know, love, <laughs> finding Christ in all of this beauty, goodness, truth, like that's delightful. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful, Amy. Thank you. You're absolutely right. And um, I love the, you know, you could balance your healing in so many different ways. Um, but I am particularly enchanted um, mm-hmm. by your mix of like doing the work and engaging with these practices um, formally and like therapy and whatever, mm-hmm. like being in the wilderness or like out in God's creation mm-hmm. and also scripture. Um, yes. And and it's probably the case that I'm enchanted by that because that is what has been so healing for me um, mm-hmm. in a time of trauma. But mm-hmm. I just want to like recap that and to acknowledge that scripture in particular is what has guided you through because it's in all that you've experienced, at least in terms of what you've articulated to us, that there's never been a question that God is good. It's that the people who claim God are good. That's yeah. what's objectionable. Mm. Yeah, but the question that I had to keep wrestling with, and I still mm. do, is what's real? Mm. <laughs> You're going yeah. through all this crazy church trials and and um, like two years of it and, and all yeah. this stuff on the internet and public happening to you and 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 you you have to keep asking yourself what's real is it's what they're saying mm-hmm. about me real you know is what they're saying about god real and and being able to know like you know when i walked away from that denomination um there was a lot of good stuff there you know that's what kept me there for so long so that's what yeah. makes it so hard um and so to be able to parse the, the really good stuff you know and really horrible stuff which it's almost like the good stuff makes the horrible stuff even worse. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, and I think that's where God's word really served me well. Um, and, you know, in the song, like to see the words that Christ is saying to the bride, you know, and take those as words to me and the words that she's saying to him and to say, I can mm-hmm. say that to God, you know, I can express my longings for him, for his presence. Like, where the heck are you right now? <laughs> Even, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, wanting that kind of intimacy and and finding it and, and even being able, she names her abuse, you know, she mm-hmm. is neglected by the, the guardians and then she is abused by them. She is laid out on the ground and her garment stripped from her, you know, um, mm-hmm. So I just, there's so much in there that really helped me give me words and receive words from Christ. Oh, thank you, Amy. That's beautiful. But also just this marriage of what is so hard um, and so beautiful as we walk through this life. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for letting me share.
Amy, I'm just wanted to circle back to something you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you were commenting was that the uh, many of the efforts to try and support you in in your trauma and, and in the, the the battles that were going on were actually profoundly disempowering and mm-hmm. more trauma in and of themselves. Uh, I was wondering if you could walk us through what do you think it would look like to be have supports to, to, for people to be allies uh, without disempowering, without uh, being a, a disempowerment to to someone going through uh, trauma at various different stages, or at least what it would look like for you and what you would have preferred. Yeah, that's such a good question, and I think there's there's obviously different ways, um, but some that I could think of is, you know, the very first thing coming forward is so hard. I remember, so someone came to me with all of these screenshots of what was being said about me from all these church leaders and I couldn't believe it, you know? And I'm showing them, I showed them to a pastor friend of mine and he said, you need to talk to your pastor one-on-one about this. You need to get a meeting and arrange it. And my husband and I are talking about it and Matt, my husband's like, yeah, like call him today or set up a meeting. You set it up for this day because I'm off of work. And it was like, you know, that next week. And um, he came home from work and he's like, so did you call you know, our pastor? And I'm like, no, I haven't called yet. <laughs> you know, it's just so hard to bring this news. And he looked at me and he was like, Amy, if you were a man, like you would have been able to call him. Like, it, it's this tension of you being a woman that you feel like you can't bring this. And I'm like, you're right. You're so right. Like, I don't want to be the troublemaking woman. So I think one of the first things is just recognizing how hard it is to even come forward and to, um, it, my pastor, it's not that he didn't believe me. I had like the evidence, I had so many receipts, but, um, you know, the question was just asked, like, what do I want them to do? And so then it was kind of on me, whatever was going to happen, you know? And so I, I feel like there should be training ahead of time that these mm-hmm. things are going to happen. Maybe not as bad as what happened to me, but there is going to be women in your church who are in abusive marriages. You know, there are going to be leaders in your church who are going to hurt people. You know, how, like, to already have set in place something to... um to believe them when they come and to know the next step, even though we had this book of church order, you know, it still was so impersonal. Um, so that's one. Another thing is, like I said, I didn't have a voice in it. Now I could have like, quote unquote, filed my own complaint. I was talked into letting the leaders do it. And it was very easy to say yes, because in my denomination, like there's this very formal way that you write a complaint that nobody knows how to do. (laughs) And so it's not like you're taught that in membership training. Um, So to either equip your members well on how they can come forward with these kind of things, which I think is very important, but then to also make them a part of the process. um, Because, you know, one of the, a, a big way that helps minister to those to healing who are under trauma is to give them back what was taken from them, which was their voice in the first place, which Diane Langberg explains is part of what makes you a human being is having a voice. 
So um, to take away the, the voice is to further traumatize. What you want is to not continue treating that person like a victim, but to actually empower them to help heal, but also to help you because we're all learning here. And so it, there should be some reciprocity happening in all of this. And I, that's something that I didn't have at all. Even when I finally got to talk to my elders and my husband and I go, um, it's just like everything I said there, oh, this is terrible. We're so sorry. Uh, and it was two months after everything happened. And then they just turned around and did everything different than what I, anything I suggested. So there was like zero reciprocity there, you know? So um, I think reciprocity is a really big part of it too. And another part, and this is to help prevent, but then also help you when you're going through it is, man, you need to reach out to different voices in your church. Um, you know, in, in my situation, these were all men leaders. They were all white. <laughs> you know, I just feel like they had one perspective. So you need to get perspective from minorities, from, you know, women, um, different classes. You know, it's just when you're just one demographic, you, you don't have the eyes. So I think that's another big part of it. So making sure you're including their voice, that there's actual reciprocity, not keeping them a victim, um, keeping in mind the different factors of, of how people are affected and learning through the process. And also remembering like, how can I care for this person well? Um, not just the discipline, you know, of this person or that person, or, you know, the, the steps to justice, but this is a church. <laughs> You know, we're there to love one another and care for one another. And the most important thing for anybody going through trauma is witness for them to know <laughs> that there's people that are in the room with you, you know, that actually want to know, hey, how are you doing? It's really actually pretty simple. Yeah, Amy, that's so true. And, and can, I mean, I, I feel like the most important thing I can say to you today is I'm so sorry um because you're absolutely right that you were not heard your people did not come alongside you you were really generous and that was not reciprocated in your experience in your denomination and i think that you're i just want to highlight um that you what you've named that you didn't have someone alongside you because everyone had a different perspective like they had the perspective of what is stereotypically a kind of like powerful perspective, the white male vantage mm -hmm. point. And so yeah. when people are coming to this, they're seeing themselves in the person causing you harm mm. rather than identifying with you. And um, that's just heartbreaking to me. So yeah. I'm really sorry. Well, you just think like Christ's bride isn't just made up of white men. <laughs> yeah. And and so, yeah, it can be terrifying when you are just trying to see what's real, you know, and get mm -hmm. basic care um, and, and not be under the authority of somebody who's harming you. Yeah. And I can see where, and this is me guessing, and I don't know, but for you as 
a sort of leader within um, the broader Christian community. You know, you've been invited in these public uh, publishing spaces to have a broader voice, mm-hmm. but then in your denomination, you're not a leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, formally speaking because of, right. you know, various dynamics. And so you're invited into this space and treated as though you have so much power where in the denomination, that's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like strange, I don't know, dynamic at work. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a piece of this that I'm picking up on that that strikes me as really complicated. Yeah, that was because in my vocation was so connected to like church, right? Mm-hmm. And in my vocation and in, in, in my speaking and writing, I'm treated like a person with contributions. You know, I don't even know how much power I thought about, about, but just like a person with contributions and, and, and influence. Yeah. Um, but I found when I walked into church, I really didn't want to appear <laughs> that I thought like that I was somebody who did that, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I made myself smaller yeah. in church. Um, yeah. and so I tried so hard to do that, which is, you know, it's, crazy to say now, you know, I look back at that and think, oh my gosh. And one of the things that I wrote when I decided to leave was that, you know, I kept asking myself, are you safe still? Can you stay and finish this through? I wanted to finish through this whole process. And Mm -hmm. are you safe? Are you safe? And then I realized, well, besides the fact that I'm not safe, (laughs) it's an obvious no. Why is that the question I'm asking? You know, why aren't Mm -hmm. I asking if me and my family are thriving here? Um, mm. you know, like what in the world has happened to the, where this is my logic. Yeah. You know, Amy, thanks so much for sharing uh, all of this, um, as perhaps a, a final question. Um, curious, since you said you have this, uh, new book that's, uh, going to be coming out soon, curious to know when we could, uh, get our hands on it. But, uh, if you could tell us a little bit more, uh, about it, of course, I, I hope we could uh, have you back on the podcast to talk about it when it's mm-hmm. properly out. Um, but you know, since you also mentioned that one of the things you'd love to do is uh, start a speakeasy, uh, which <laughs> I, 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 I quite like. And I think there's nothing holding you back from doing that. Um, I, I think if there's one sort of like side gig that I could have being a bartender for like four hours a week would be yes. ideal for me. I just I love, I love hosting and making drinks. Me too, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering in light of that. What cocktail would you pair with your new book? If Chris and Madison and I were going to sit down, we're going to sit down at uh, your speakeasy and start uh-huh. reading your book. Uh, what what would you pair with that book? <laughs> Love it. Okay, so the book is called "The Hope in Our Scars," mm-hmm. and it is about you know rising um, from disillusionment with the church and. So it starts out just really talking about disillusioned disciples. And we, we see that all the disciples in scripture in the New Testament were very disillusioned, you know, um, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So I, I found a lot of comfort in that. But then I also like I have a chapter on shame and the role that shame plays um, when we're not only when we're facing disillusionment, but I think the leaders themselves who are trying to deal with it. Um, and then then I introduce like, you know, what really matters, the things I was talking about, beauty, goodness, truth. Um, 
And I work with a poem from Malcolm Geith on the grain of mm. wheat that falls mm. to the earth and dies. And he talks about, you know, the underground where the, where the, the grain of wheat falls and where the other fallen gather. And that just hit me so much because I feel like when you realize you have to die to some things yourself, you know, um, and you shed those things, but then you look to the left and you look to the right and you find a whole community of people down there with you. And I think that is where the church should be. Like that is where we should be. That's where I want to hang out. And so I really use that language through the rest of the book then. Um, And it's something that organically happened too, is just the role of communion um, in the life of the believer and um, the mystery there and the beauty there and the resurrection that is happening both, you know, when you look at this poem and when you um, really study like the Eucharist. So the book has a lot more creative. It's a different, I'm kind of pivoting in my writing style. It's, it's more creative writing, um, which I like and more poetic a little bit, a little more stream of consciousy, um, but still trying to keep my biblical theological roots going there. Um, so it's exciting for me. Um, pairing that with a drink, you know, I, I am a bourbon girl at heart. I was going to say with all the grain imagery, it's got to be a bourbon. I am a bourbon girl. (laughs) There's grain imagery. So you know what I think, you know, and we're talking coming together communion. So like what I'm thinking here is, is kind of a big project, but like if, if we could get together and drink a bourbon neat, that is local to our area. Okay. All (laughs) right. We each have our own, or we could share, you know, like, I could bring my Frederick, Maryland, you know, matchstick uh, <laughs> bourbon. And, you know, like that's something I love to do too when I'm visiting places is to check out the local distilleries and taste the area. Love it. Love mm. it. <laughs> oh, Amy, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> thank you for your wisdom, for your transparency, for the gift that you've given us in this conversation. Um, we There's so much more that we could learn from you, but we'll look forward to your next book and to you having a cocktail when it emerges. Yes, we will drink so, bourbon while we're recording for the next book. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, that's yes, plan. because that undoubtedly, great. Amy Byrne, you will be back on the two cities. That's and right. we will be that's excited right. about that day. So thank you so much for being here with us. Such a pleasure. Thanks for this whole series you guys are doing on trauma. I think it's really helpful. 